All right. Well, I was told that we have an hour in the mornings. And those of you who go to my church know that I could fill the whole hour. But I also know that many of you are parents and you don't want me to because morning time at camp is precious time. And so uh, my plan for these morning sessions is to be a little bit less formal, uh, hopefully a little bit more interaction, hopefully a lot of forcing you guys to use your brains in the morning instead of somebody's clapping, one person wants to use their brain. I appreciate that. This could be a long week if there's only one of you who wants to participate. Um, but my goal is to have basically a time of discussion for about 30 minutes and then give you guys a little bit of extra time. But I want you to use at least a portion of that time to pray. Uh, like I mentioned last night, we, we, the worst thing we could do would be to just talk about prayer all week and never do it. And so uh, we want to give you guys the opportunity uh, basically remove any excuses for why you can't pray. And so uh, this morning, the message title is Why Pray? And we're going to get to that question in a second. But before we talk about why we pray, I want to ask you guys, why don't we pray? What are the, some, some of the reasons that we use, some of the excuses that come into our minds for why we don't pray? All the way in the back. What's that? Too busy. Too tired. Okay, we're just going to fall asleep while we're doing it. Life's going good. Okay, life's okay. We don't think we need to. I heard try to figure it out on our own. We don't want to know the answer, isn't that? Yeah, that's true sometimes. Yeah. I haven't got the answers that I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either we don't, yeah, we don't want the answers or we get answers, but that's not exactly what I was going for, God. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There are definitely times where you're just going through something that is so difficult for you to even process. You don't have words, and so you need others to intercede on your behalf. Scripture reminds us also that in those situations, we have the Holy Spirit to intercede for us, even in our groanings. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah. We don't think to ask. We don't think to ask. Okay, we just don't think about prayer sometimes. Oh, yeah, God already knows what's the point, right? What's the point of praying anyway? God already knows what's going on. Yeah. Okay, we've prayed the same thing for a long time. It seems like nothing's happening. We lose, we lose heart. We, we ask, what's the point? Any other thoughts? Why don't we pray? What's that? It's work and it's not always fun, right? Just like many of the Christian biblical disciplines that are good and healthy for us, they're not, they're not, we can be honest. I can say as a pastor, even those as a pastor, sometimes I don't feel like praying either. 
Okay, we can be honest, yeah. Our priorities are wrong. Yeah, over here. Not a big enough deal. Okay, wow, we, we have lots of excuses, don't we? Man. It's, yeah, I mean, there are so many reasons why we don't pray. And so this morning I want to ask the question, why pray? And when I ask that question, this morning I'm not addressing that question with a response that will be, a philosophical answer to some of the difficult situations like God's not answering my prayers. We're going to actually spend a whole session on that uh, later on this week. Uh, But when I say why pray, what I'm getting at is what should be a right or healthy motivation for us to pray? You know, one thing that that I find true is anytime I hear a message on prayer, or anytime I hear a message on evangelism, I'm already like, oh, I'm failing epically. Like, I just feel so guilty. And what always ends up happening is, like, the Holy Spirit obviously is working. He's convicting me that I need to do better. And in my mind, I just think, okay, because I feel guilty about this, I'm going to try harder. And that's going to be the thing that helps me take that next step in my spiritual walk. And what I don't want to do this week as we continue talking about prayer is just give you guys a huge guilt trip about how you need to pray more, you need to pray better, this, that, and the other thing. And so this morning, my goal is really to help you to see the beauty of prayer, to help you see the privilege that we have in prayer, and to therefore, because of those things, Seize the opportunity to pray. If you think back to Genesis, in fact, go ahead and open your copy of God's Word this morning. Genesis chapter 3. You guys know the story of Genesis. I want you to think about what it would have been like for a moment to be Adam and Eve. Before the fall, when everything was good, they dwelt in perfect relationship with God, their creator. They enjoyed his presence. They loved being with him. There was no sin. There was no guilt. There was no shame. And can you, I mean, it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around just how sweet that would have been. But of course, they did sin, and in Genesis chapter 3, follow along as I just read for us verses 7 and 8. It says, then, this is right after they ate of the tree, Genesis 3 verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so they go from 
the state of innocence or the state of a, literally a perfect relationship, enjoying the presence of God to after they sin. In these two passages, we see before God even presents himself to them, they're already covering themselves. Then, when God does present himself, when they know that he is, when they know that they are in the presence of God, what do they do? Their covering wasn't even enough. They then go and hide behind the trees. There's now guilt and shame. Because of their sin, they knew that something was off when they were in the presence of God. Anytime we are we come face to face with the holiness of God, with the presence of God, we in return should understand our own sinfulness. We should become more aware of our own sinfulness. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. I love one of our uh, kids' books that we read with our kids tells the story of uh, the garden and all the way to Revelation. And in the beginning of that book, one of the phrases that our kids literally scream as we're reading it is uh, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. That was, that was kind of symbolic in many ways of just how drastically their relationship with God and dwelling in his presence had changed. And the little phrase that book says is, because of your sin, you can't come in. Because of your sin, you can't come in. And so what we see is that the perfect presence and relationship of God was forever altered with his people because of sin. But God is an extremely gracious God. And so all throughout the Old Testament, he provides, or at least tries to provide, ways for his people to still dwell in relationship with him. And so I want to challenge you guys to uh, talk to those in your family around you. If you don't have anybody to talk to, find, find somebody in front or behind you, or maybe just awkwardly eavesdrop on their conversation. Whatever you feel most comfortable with, we're not going to force anybody to, to go outside of their comfort zone yet. It's only Monday. Um, but I, I want you guys to brainstorm a little bit about what happens in the Old Testament. And so I have two questions up here for you guys to brainstorm. I'm going to give you about five-ish minutes, maybe six. The first question is, what examples are in the Old Testament of people experiencing the presence of God? So think about the times in the Old Testament where people actually were able to experience the presence of God in some way, shape, or form. And talk about what did that look like and what were the people's reactions? After you've discussed that question, move on to the next question. What are some of the Old Testament examples of what God's people were required to do in order to draw close or maintain relationship with God? And so I'm going to give you guys about, we'll start with five minutes. If you guys are still diving in, I'll, I'll maybe give you seven. Uh, but once again, we don't want to be here all morning. So uh, go ahead and discuss that with your neighbors you can get your phones out, you can Google it, you can use ChatGPT if you need to. It, it is fair game. It's all, it's all free reign this morning. Uh, but once, we, once you guys are done discussing that a little bit, we'll come together and I'd like for you guys to share just some of the things that you discuss in relationship to those questions.
Are you cheating? Do you do? All right, it looks like a good majority of you at least have finished talking. I'm sure we could go all morning with these discussion questions, but let's start with the first one. Some of the examples in the Old Testament where people actually did experience the presence of God, what did it look like and what were their reactions? What were some of the things you guys came up with for that question? 
Israel and Mount Sinai, excellent, excellent. Any other examples of, and what happened with the Israel, Israelites on Mount Sinai? Yeah, exactly. Don't come near us. And uh, because they didn't come near to God, God actually ended up coming to them through the tabernacle and temple um, in the end, the latter half of Exodus, uh, which is kind of kind of a cool story and how all that happened. What else? Uh, what else happened in the Old Testament? Any other examples of people experiencing the presence of God? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So Samson's parents. Very good. Any any others? Yeah, over here. Excellent. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego definitely experienced the presence of God. Yeah. And what happened there? Mm-hmm. Very good. Elijah. Yeah, in the back. Mm-hmm. Joshua, certainly. Any others? Yeah, all the way in the back. Okay, the story of Jacob. Is that what happened, Andy? Where's Andy at? He had... Yeah. Okay, okay, Cain. Yeah. Enoch, very good, very good. There's, yeah, there, there are a handful of examples. There's very few where I think people come face to face with the full presence or full holiness of God. Oftentimes it is, at least to a certain extent, veiled. Uh, we'll see in the Old Testament lots of times uh, a word called theophanies, where God does manifest himself to people, but they're not necessarily revealed to the entirety of his being, so to speak. Uh, We see in the Old Testament, sometimes God does in the Old Testament fill people or indwell people with his spirit for particular seasons to accomplish a particular task. And so uh, you could argue that is a, a time in the Old Testament where the glory or the presence of God appears to them. Uh, we mentioned Moses. Uh, you might think of Isaiah, although that technically was through a vision. Uh, one that wasn't mentioned that I will bring up is just how God revealed his presence to the nation of Israel through the tabernacle and through the temple. As, as you think about the Holy of Holies, and how just, a, just how sacred of a place that was because that's where the presence of God was and just how limited it was for 
the regular Israelite to, I mean, they didn't get access to that, right? It was only the priests. And so let's move on to the second question there. What are some of the Old Testament examples of what God's people were required to do in order to draw close or maintain relationship with God? Shout them out. What are some of the things? Obedience. What's that? Change of heart. Okay, anything else? Sacrifices. Yeah, any, anybody reading Leviticus in their daily devotions right now? Anybody up on all the different types of sacrifices and offerings and all the rules and regulations for the different types? I mean, there's so many. What else? Okay, I heard multiple things. I heard priests here. Okay, I just talked about the tabernacle and the temple, and the priests obviously played a huge role in the worship of the people and, and how they were or were not able to enter into the presence of God. In fact, you can even think back to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai when, when all that story happened in Exodus 19 and 20, and the people basically said, nope, sorry, we can't handle your presence. We don't want it. Moses, you just go up. You do the talking for us, and that's cool with us. We'll just kind of keep our distance. And they didn't realize it at the time, but they were missing out on a huge opportunity to interact with God himself. And so God instead, of course, comes into the temple or tabernacle, and uh, he, of course, then later on would institute the priests and uh, at least give that privilege to one line of the nation of Israel uh, through the tribe of Levi uh, and Aaron and all his descendants. So, uh, yeah, priests are, priests are a huge part of uh, communing and relating to God throughout the Old Testament. Anything else come to mind when you guys were discussing this question? Yeah, oftentimes we see the leaders of Israel interceding on their behalf, for sure. Just brutal honesty, yeah. Seek and repent. Yeah, the message of lots of the prophets, yeah. Excellent, yeah, very good. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, no other idols. Think of the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws, or however many there were uh, back there. Yeah, over there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those rules and regulations. There were moral laws, ceremonial laws, civil, judicial laws. Dietary laws, purity laws, cleanliness. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And so uh, between all of those things, sacrifices, priests, as you consider these two questions, what I want you to consider is that really God giving the Israelites and the people of the Old Testament 
even the chance at still relating to him was God's grace to his people. Remember, they deserve death. The penalty of sin is death. And so God is here, in one sense, giving them the continued opportunity to relate to him. But also, we know that the law ultimately was pointing to something better. It was revealing to them their own inability to maintain the law and therefore their just dire need for a savior. Uh, And that's what we see in Colossians 2.17. It says, these things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me quickly to Hebrews. We're gonna look at several passages real quick in Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10. Hebrews is, all, is a book all about how Jesus is better, right? The law was good, it served his purpose, but Jesus is better. Moses was great, Jesus is better. The priests were necessary, but Jesus is better. The old covenant was good, but the new covenant in his blood is better. The sacrifices, once again, were good and necessary, but Jesus is better. And so look with me at Hebrews, and I'm just going to pick and choose a few verses uh, out of these couple chapters to highlight kind of the main thrust of them. But Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 say this, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. He was not just a priest, he was the great high priest. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 Since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it could never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Skip down to Hebrews 10, 9 to 13. Jesus says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by one single offering, he perfected for all time those who were being sanctified. So we see even from these verses, these Old Testament sacrifices were a way to draw near, but it was never a way to perfect. It was never completed, always looking to the next thing, always looking to the next sacrifice. 
But because of what Christ has accomplished for us in Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, some symbolism there to the temple, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What these two chapters in Hebrews repeatedly remind us of is that the law has now been kept. It's been fulfilled. The great high priest has come The final, ultimate, once-for-all sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. That curtain in the temple that separated everybody else from the Holy of Holies in the presence of God, when, when Christ died on the cross, that curtain ripped in two by the power of Christ. Because of all of that, God can say to us, come. Come into my presence with confidence. What did Adam and Eve not have after the fall? They did not have any confidence when they stood in the presence of God. They were afraid. They were guilty. They felt shame. They wanted to hide. But because of the blood of Christ, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we deserve, not because we're special, But because of the blood of Christ, we have the opportunity to go confidently into the presence of God. This message of the gospel is contrary to every other religion. Every other religion will say, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then you have just a a small chance that your God might hear you and listen to you and respond to you. Christianity Christianity says, no, in Christ, everything is done. And because of what has been done through the blood of Christ, you can have confidence and enter into the presence of your holy God. So that's point number one. Pray because of the gospel. The gospel obviously impacts a lot more than just how we think about prayer. But pray because of the gospel, or in other words, pray because you get to. Don't take for granted this this amazing opportunity that we as believers today have to actually go boldly in confidence to the throne of God. Secondly, pray because you want to. Pray because you want to. Let me ask you this. Who's your favorite person to talk to? I I don't want the... Sunday school answer right now, okay? This isn't Sunday school. We know, obviously, God is your favorite person to talk to. But in, in like, human, humans, who, who's your favorite human to talk to? Your wife. Okay, good answer. I'm glad we, we succeeded. Men, take note. That's the answer. That's the right answer. Okay, we, we could go on about this, but... Whoever your favorite person to talk to is, why is that your favorite person to talk to? What are the reasons that make that person your favorite? Okay, their knowledge of you 
Anything else? Trust. They listen. They're honest. Encourage. They, okay, at the same time, they care for you. They love you unconditionally. One quote that I love from Tim Keller. He said once, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. Do you understand that when you enter into prayer, you are talking to somebody who knows you more intimately than your spouse, knows you more intimately than you even know yourself, but also he loves you more than your spouse does. He loves you more than anybody does. He loves you even more than you do, and that's impressive because we love ourselves a lot. But not only does he know us and love us, he also understands us. I think that's another aspect that we really value in talking to others, especially when it's serious. When we're going through a really tough time, you want somebody that can relate to you, somebody who really understands. And so turn with me back a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who loves us, who knows us, and who understands us. One of the most annoying things is people who are CEOs or have high office jobs, they're never in the factory, and yet they're making all the decisions that impact how things are happening in the factory on the ground level. And a lot of times, the people on the ground level doing the actual work don't like the way that the CEOs are doing because they don't understand. They don't actually know how things work. Jesus, or God, as we think about prayer, is not a CEO who's sitting up in heaven in his office, really unaware or unable to empathize with the things that were going on. He became man. 100% God, 100% man, and he experienced all of the temptations that we experienced. He experienced grief. In fact, I would even argue that he endured temptation more than anybody in this room has. Why can we say that? Well, because at some point we caved to temptation. Jesus endured and endured and endured and lived perfectly. So pray because you want to. Pray because you want to talk to somebody who loves you, knows you, and understands you. Point number three is pray because you need to. Look back at Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then 
with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need a lot of things, don't we? We're a very needy people, and this verse reminds us that God sits on a throne of grace. If you think back to the Old Testament, one, one of the realities of the kings and rulers of that time is to enter into the throne room of a king was not something to be taken lightly. Right? That's why when we read in the book of Esther, when she has the courage to go into the king's court and basically plead for the life of her people, she's risking her life by going and, and, and pleading with the king. We don't have to, if we're in Christ, if we have been able to accept that gift of salvation through the blood of Christ, we don't need to enter into the throne room of God timidly. Like, please God, just have mercy on me. Don't kill me because I'm coming into your presence. No, because of the blood of Christ, we enter confidently, understanding that we do need him. We need his grace, we need his mercy, we need his help. We preached on that last night, so I won't belabor how much we need him and depend on him anymore this morning. But you, you can't be a pastor without depending on Christ. You can't be a pastor without prayer. You can't be a parent, a good parent, without prayer. You can't be a good spouse, you can't run a camp, you can't fight temptation, we can't do anything on our own. We need the help that is available to us at the throne of grace. And so why pray? Pray because of the gospel. Pray because you get to. Pray because you want to. Pray because you need to. As we wrap up this morning, I want to challenge you guys to spend some time praying as we dismiss from here this morning. So I just encourage you, if you still have your pens out, uh, to write down. I'm just going to give you guys some specific things to pray for. Some of you are prayer warriors. You've been praying for your whole life. You're very comfortable praying with your family. Others of you sitting here this morning, that might actually be something that's foreign to you. Maybe you don't actually pray out loud with your family very much. And so I just want to give you some specific things to pray for. And you don't have to go and pray for the, for the whole hour straight. Whatever you normally do, do just a little bit more. Okay, Push yourself just a little bit in order to spend some time in prayer this morning. So the first thing that I want you to pray for is actually a prayer of thanksgiving. I want you to thank God for the gospel. Thank him for how the gospel impacts the way that we think about prayer. So first thing on the list, there's four things this morning. First one is thank God for the gospel. Item number two is pray that you would be receptive to how God wants to work in your heart this week. We've got a lot of week left and I think God wants to do a lot of work. He wants to change and transform a lot of our hearts this week. And so pray for your own receptiveness first, and then pray for others' receptiveness as well. So thank God for the gospel. Pray for receptiveness to what God wants to do in your heart this week. 
Number three, pray for anybody who is here this week who has not accepted Christ as their Savior. There's no greater joy than to hearing at the end of a week that somebody has accepted Christ as their Savior. And that's one of the special things about being at camp is, is that's such a regular thing here at IRBC. And we would love to see that happen once, twice, a dozen times this week. Point number four to pray for this morning is just pray, actually, that God would increase your desire to pray. Like we started the morning out, we have lots of excuses. They're not good. They all fall short. We'll address some of them later this week. But actually pray that God would increase your desire to pray. Did you get those? All right, let me just pray for us, and you will be dismissed. I don't think, is there any announcements or anything like that after this? Okay, so let me just wrap up in prayer, and you'll be dismissed to go and pray yourselves. Dear God, thank you so much. We are so incredibly thankful for your word. We are thankful for the gospel. Think of even yesterday as Patrick Odell described to us the, the blessing of being chosen by God. How humbling is that? We are so thankful that you are a God who loves us, understands us, saw, our, saw us in our deepest sinful state and yet demonstrated your love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our selfishness, and help us to, with confidence, because of the blood of Christ, come boldly to the throne of grace this week. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.